We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A dot com. Thanks for listening. Um, listen, I'm so excited to start this brand new series called Unpopular Opinion. Have you guys heard of like this hashtag going around, Unpopular Opinion? Sometimes it's usually like things that will get you canceled, right? Um, Y'all understand the term being canceled, right? It's when you say something and people just delete you, no longer follow you, shut you down, all of that. Well, this morning we're going to talk about some unpopular opinions that are actually truth. I mean, some are silly, right? Some are silly like apple spice or apple, uh, apple cider is better than pumpkin spice. Can I just talk about the disappointment that Starbucks in one week ran out of pumpkin spice and I did not get a PSL? Okay, why? Um, and I know that my friend Dina would say that's because I didn't go to Dunkin', right, Dina? <laughs> Listen, there are many, many, many who believe that God's opinion is the unpopular opinion. Um, there really seems to be attacks, especially right now in our culture, on God's opinion. I mean, they don't want God's opinion about anything anymore, about relationships, about sexuality, about family. Guys, if you didn't know, the nuclear family is no longer a thing because they don't want it to be a thing. They don't want to have a mom and a dad and a family. Culture is trying to cancel God's opinion. So today we're going to talk about some unpopular opinions that are actually God's truths about relationships. So in this series, we're going to cover all of these truths that actually, when we apply them to our lives, will heal and restore and bring change to the world, even though it goes against popular opinion. Popular opinion is if your marriage isn't working or you're not happy, to quit it. If it's not working, you're not happy, just quit. Just give up. Why try? right? That's the popular opinion. You deserve to be happy. I had somebody in my life, I was going through a period where I was uh, not doing what I needed to do in my marriage. And I remember I was telling my friend that I was exploring options, let's just say. And she said, well, you deserve to be happy. It was not advice that I needed at that time. It was the popular opinion, but it wasn't God's opinion and it's advice I'm glad I didn't take. It's advice I'm glad I didn't pursue because more than being happy, I needed to be holy. Here's another unpopular opinion from the Lord. The truth of the matter is about your relationships and about your marriage, God can put it back together again. And I'm here to tell you that that is the absolute truth in my life. God put our marriage back together again. He put our relationship back together again, and he heals and he restores. And I'm looking at my friends' faces in this room whose relationships have also been restored. I'm looking at my parents who God has faithfully walked through hard times and remained faithful in their marriage. I think this is a popular opinion in culture right now. Everyone thinks that their relationships should be defined by their truths. Well, that's your truth, and this is my truth. Okay, 
but we don't want to discuss God's truth. So what's God's truth about that? Here's God's truth. Let the one who designed relationships define relationships. Let the one who designed man and woman define how those relationships should interact. Maybe that should be where we go with that because his truth is way better than your opinion. His truth is way better than my opinion. So they're going to be discussing and combating this popular opinion, and it's a long one. Follow along with me on the screen. This is popular opinion right now. I am choosing to love you, but it's in, within my limits, my limits, right? That includes whether or not I feel like and what our circumstances occur at any given time. In other words, I am going to be tossed about by every wave of my emotion in our relationship. I hope to be passionately in love with you, but it will depend mainly on if I continue to feel positive about you. And you perform up to my standards, which may or may not change based on the day. I will love you until you do me wrong. Then I will make you pay. And I will do to you good or bad according to what you deserve based on what you do to me. And if you don't believe me, go on TikTok. If you don't believe me, watch some reels. Because you will see people living out this popular opinion and roasting and finding relationships and tearing people apart and tearing their spouse or their mate apart and putting it on film for the entire world to view at will. This is popular. I'm going to do what I feel. I have to be happy. And I'm going to do what makes me feel good, even if it hurts you. The Bible, however, has already defined love. And the Bible calls us to love that is beyond anything pop culture could ever even fathom. Um, Alfie and I have had the privilege of um, having people go through premarital counseling with us. And uh, it's fun because they're so new. <laughs> they're so new. And I look at them and they're so excited. And we talk about everything. We talk about all things relationship in this. We talk about finances. We talk about expectations for your household, like who should do what, when, where, and how, how many kids. We talk about all of them. We talk about sex. And I love it because we actually use um, a... Uh, it's actually like a, um, a survey that they both take separately without discussing it, and then we get the results, and then we use that as a guide. <laughs> My favorite question is, how often do you think you will be having sex? <laughs> they are so cute. <laughs> Every day, they say. <laughs> Every, more than once a day. <laughs> so cute. So cute, their opinions. I'm like, okay, you don't have kids yet, and um, you, don't, you don't understand the definition of tired. <laughs> oh, and just wait till you fight about money. <laughs> um, but I do love helping people really build a lifelong love, because that's the purpose of premarital counseling. It's to help you build a lifelong love, a biblical love, that outlasts your desires that happen in the first two weeks until you wear each other out, right? 
This is what the Bible says about love. Let's look at this together. It says, love is patient. Oh, Jesus, we're already in trouble. Right? Can I get an amen? Oh, come on. Because we're not patient. Ladies, we're not patient often when he leaves garbage on the floor right next to the can. Come on. <laughs> we're not patient, gentlemen, when once again you get in the vehicle and it is on E. Again. I'm sorry, Alfie. I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> and the world uh, is not patient. It doesn't want to wait for love. It doesn't want to save itself for marriage. It doesn't value purity. It's not patient. It wants what it wants right now. I want this right now. I don't want to wait. But the biblical definition of love is that it's patient. And then it's kind. Mm. Love is kind. Even when the other person is irrational and not performing up to your standards or what you need. And let me just tell you, it's patient in my marriage when I have come unglued about something that is ridiculous. And my husband pulls me into the bedroom and says, you are being really immature right now. And I am about ready to explode because he called me immature. But he kindly tells me, we just need to calm down and talk about this. Instead of blowing up back at me, love is kind. It's kind. It goes on to say that it does not envy. Mm, love is not a competition. Your marriage shouldn't be a competition of who's in charge. It should be a competition of mutual submission. How can I outserve my spouse? How can I outserve them? I will try very hard in my day to call off and say, hey, is there anything I can do for you today? How can I serve you today? What do you need today? And he'll usually come up with something. And it might not even be big. It might be just, hey, can you just make sure that the kid, one kid knows this thing? I'm like, okay, sure, right? But it's not envious or competitive. It doesn't matter who makes more money. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Can we talk about honor and dishonor? So many times we can say things that are so dishonoring in relationships, even if it's just work relationships. It would really help us all if we remembered Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up others according to their needs. Do you know why it's not on the screen and I memorized it? Because I had to memorize it. Because I needed it in my own life. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up others. So many times we will dishonor somebody else to make ourselves look good. Right? Can I be honest? When I was an intern at my former church, the youth pastor wasn't treating somebody the way I thought that he should be treating that person. And I straight up rolled him under the bus and told a little white lie to make myself look better and him look worse. And one morning I sat in my bed and I was praying and the Lord said, hey, you lied. 
and you lied to make yourself look better. And I felt so convicted, I began to cry. And the next thing I did was I picked up my phone and I called my senior pastor and I called the youth pastor and I said, I need you to know what I did. And I need you to know why I did it. I'm so sorry. That was wrong. I dishonored you and I should not have done that because love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Darn it. <laughs> right? It is not hot-headed. Ladies, how many of you would say that you are just so cool and level-headed in your relationships? All right, no, no. But biblical love is not easily angered. And then it keeps no records of wrong. How many of you, and I can raise my hand to this, remember everything that your partner or your friend or your sister or brother did, as soon as they do you wrong one time in the present, you have the list. You're like, oh, I remember that. You did this, and this is the second time. Oh, you know what? Actually, this is the fourth time because I remember this time and this time and this time and this time. (laughs) And you remember you did not pick up your laundry that one day? I did it. You know why I did it? Because I actually love you. Okay, if you're saying that... It's probably not, probably not, <laughs> probably not keeping a no record. It goes on to say that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in airing your private affairs on social media. Love does not delight in airing somebody else's dirty laundry on social media. But it rejoices in the quiet truth revealed at home. He goes on to say, it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And this last phrase has been on the wall of my office since I became a pastor. And it says, love never fails. Growing up in my house, I was a hot-tempered, unloving teenager who used and abused drugs and alcohol and was a hot mess when I came home from my family. Uh, There were many fights and many disagreements uh, and physical altercations between uh, my dad and I because we were just so both of us, I think, both just so hard-headed, right? You can ask him about it. It was rough. It was rough. But in my kitchen hung this phrase, love never fails. And I would hear my parents discussing me and my hot-headed bad attitude and my literally running around the streets at night. And I remember hearing them say, we just have to love because love never fails. Love never fails. And they would remind each other of this fact. And throughout my life, I've remembered in the hardest times and in the worst times that love never fails. So when I have somebody, and in ministry, my parents taught me this wonderful phrase. Um, so it's kind of code, and it's, it's EGRs. An EGR is a person that is extra grace required. <laughs> you have those in your life, sure, right? Extra grace required. So when I have an EGR, 
either in my office or in my life, I remind myself with a sign on my wall that says love never fails. And in our cancel culture, this is unpopular because this does not hold up with our individualistic, self-seeking, self-serving attitudes. This is the direct opposite of that. And here's another. This is what Paul kind of surmises all of this with. He says, let love be your highest goal. Another version, the Living, Living Bible version says, let love be your greatest aim. If you're aiming at something, <laughs> if you're aiming at something for somebody in their life, don't aim for them to be more like you. Don't aim for them to act the way you want them to act. Don't aim for anything else other than the bullseye of love. Let love be the aim in your life. Let it be your greatest aim. You know, so Christianity is supposed to be transformation into love that is synonymous with the sacrificial love of Jesus. That's what Christianity is supposed to do. This is supposed to be our greatest aim as followers of the patient, kind, benevolent, unpretentious, humble, honoring, careful, calm, forgiving, celebratory, protective, trusting, hopeful, persevering, never failing love of Jesus Christ. This is what we're supposed to be aiming for. And this is more than just great thoughts. This is who God is. God is love, embodied, given, poured out for us. And we aim, we journey in a process to become more like Jesus, learning every day how to love even our enemies. Even that person who took the last pumpkin spice pump out of that latte at Starbucks. How dare they? Did they not know I had been waiting? I love this. You know, kids say sometimes the most profound things, don't they? They just say some things that you just go, oh man. So there were a hundred professionals that sought to define love and thought that those that would be most untainted by culture would be children aged four through eight. So they polled them with the question, what is love? And I want to share with you some of their answers because they're so telling. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her nails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hand got arthritis too. That's love. Come on, Rebecca, age eight. She's got a little something figured out. And now we have Billy, age four. He says, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Golly day. Kids got a future. <laughs> you just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Nothing divisive or horrible is going to come out along with their name. How good is that? And then we have Carl. 
<laughs> Carl says, love is when a girl put on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. <laughs> that's what Carl thinks that's all about at age five. And I'm okay at age five with this definition of love. <laughs> um, I was informed as a side note this week that my daughter uh, will be getting married to Axel in her pre-K four room. Uh, so um, Axel, better calm down. Um, <laughs> Chrissy, age six, says love is when you uh, go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. <laughs> that's love right there. French fries. Come on. Can we all agree? And if it's PK fries, that's real love. Okay. Love is what makes you smile when you are tired. Come on, Terry. Four-year-old Terry. Danny says, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. <laughs> That's a good wife right there. Come on. That's a good one. Love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. <laughs> Emily, age eight, it is very traditional in our house if Alfie and I kiss in the kitchen usually just to annoy our children. They all, that's so gross, right? Bobby, age seven, says, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Jeez, Bobby. Bobby cut you in the heart. <laughs> Bobby will cut you in the heart. Nika said, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend you hate. Love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. Mark 6 has got it figured out. He's six years old. Jessica says this, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. Come on, out of the mouths of children, we get some guidance. You see, love is a big deal to God. Love is a big deal to God, and it should be a big deal to you because we follow God. We who are called his people should make love our greatest aim. Jesus said this. He said, therefore, and this is going to be the Emma version, if you roll up in church and you got beef with somebody at work, before you drop your tithe in that offering, before you drop your offering in the bucket, get up off of your derriere and leave church and go make it right. The real version says, therefore, if you have, uh, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember there that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. God says, love is better than your sacrifice. To be reconciled and in unity with others is more important to me than your money. The world would say, your money is more important to the church than your attitude, actions, or behavior. But I'm telling you, as your pastor, I don't care about your money. If you're running around out there acting a fool, treating people badly, misrepresenting Christ, I don't want your daggone money. I would rather you give my Jesus a good name than you give me five cents. Because love is our greatest aim. And like we talked about last week, we don't get to just say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm just grumpy. 
I just don't like people with that skin color. I just don't, you don't know what somebody did to me like that. You don't know how somebody played me like that. You don't get to say that. You don't get to say that's just the way I was born. That's just the way I am. Because you know what? I was born a murderous, treacherous, adulterous, nasty woman. But God. But God. God is the aim because God is love. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the dark. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And listen to this part. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. When you live in unity with your brother and sister, you are walking fully open, fully seeing with the light of God around you. And nothing is going to make you stumble in the dark. Nothing is going to trip you up or damage your faith or your relationships because you are living in the light of love. Now listen, religious people love to flex hard on the rules, don't they? Oh, they love the rules. They love them in the Bible too. Oh, you have to be circumcised. If you're a Gentile and you've come to faith in Jesus Christ because you know, because Christianity came out of Judaism, well, then they want you to get circumcised because it's about the rules. But there was a council in Jerusalem and said, no, 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 you've got it wrong. It's about the relationship. Leave them Greek boys alone. <laughs> and all the Greek boys said, amen. <laughs> said, thank you, Jesus, for my freedom, right? Because religious people always want you to know what they're against. You will very rarely hear us talk about what we're against at Hope Church because we are for people. We are for love. We are for forgiveness. We are for remembering who we were and what crap we came out of and letting you know that we've come a mighty, mighty long way and God has a plan for your life. So, so what are the rules? They've got rules on what you eat and what you wear and what you can't say and what you must not do, all the rules. Have anybody ran into Christians like this? They will tell you their rules. Oh, well, you, you must not be a Christian because you don't fill in the blank. You don't wear a dress, ladies. Huh? I'm free. Y'all won't see me up here. Nope. Mm -mm. I like my jeans. I like my tennis. Rock with it, lean with it, okay? I ain't wearing a dress. Jesus didn't say so. He said I had to love, right? How many times, how many times do we get trapped in this mindset that we got to follow these set of rules? You see, one of these type of people wanted to trap Jesus into the box of rules and free themselves of the need to do the hard work of transforming to be more like God. He had a conversation with Jesus, and this is how it went. One of them, an expert in the law, go figure, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the truth. When you seek to trump someone else with the law, you are missing the love. When you seek to tell somebody that they need to act, behave, do whatever, 
because that's your preference, you are pushing the law on somebody who really just needs your love and acceptance. Because the last I checked, your name is not Holy Spirit and neither is mine. And it is the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent us to transform us. And this is what Jesus responded to the man. You want law? The law is love. You want all the rules? The rule is love. Sometimes I am totally embarrassed by the lack of love amongst believers. I often will straight up unfriend people who are, call themselves Christians and have nothing positive to say on social media. It frustrates me so hard. May I quote the Bible and put your phone down. Love doesn't respond on social media to somebody whose views don't perfectly align with yours. Love doesn't hit send on your snarky text messages. It means you hold your tongue and walk out of the room when your uncle gets political. It means that you don't cut somebody off or cancel someone even when you might have every reason to do so because you choose love. You see, we've been given the Holy Spirit and here's the secret I learned when I first got married. <laughs> Talk about first got married. It was rough. Rough. Bro, I'm yes, it was rough. <laughs> it was rough. So for the first six months after I said yes to Jesus, my life was transformed. I could not participate in things I used to participate in. And this totally threw Alfie off. He was like, what is wrong with you? And I remember going into a video store and he wanted to go in a section that I no longer could go in, even though that used to be our MO. And I said, I can't do that anymore. I'm sorry. And we got into a fight, fight, fight. And I remember going out in the parking lot and I called my mom. I said, mom, this is not going to work. It's not going to work. I can't follow Jesus. This dude's jacked up. I don't know why I ever got married. Like, he's got this, 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 and this. I started naming all of the rules that he wasn't following that I wanted him to follow. And I remember my mom said to me, baby, you are not his Holy Spirit. All you need to do is love him. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I really want to be his Holy Spirit. <laughs> and we do that to people, don't we? We want to be their Holy Spirit. We want to tell them everything they're doing wrong. And why? And how to fix it? Like as if we knew, right? When the real answer is probably a listening ear and a loving conversation. I don't mean we don't speak truth. I don't mean we don't challenge people. But I mean we do so in a way that honors Christ and loves them above our self. It's powerful when we love like Jesus loves. You see, God has been trying to teach you that your view of love is limited. And he wants to expand your understanding that so you can extend your ability to demonstrate his love. He is going to flex your muscles. So let's look at the Greek. You know, we have one word, right, in the English for love. But in the Greek, there's actually four, four words, and they mean different aspects of love. And the first is storge, and it's like a natural affection that occurs, okay? Naturally affection. Friendships is phileo. So I phileo you. I love you like a friend. We're besties. We do things. Let's go get petties, right? Phileo, right? And then we have eros, 
which is where we get our word erotic. It means the physical attraction of love. And in a marriage context, fun, right? Right? Because listen, if you don't know, if you, if you aren't married or you're getting married or you, you're new in your marriage, I just want you to know it does get better. Okay? It gets better with time. Because you do, you got love, you got God, you got safety. All right? So it also, like, Eros is also like, ooh, I love chocolate. It's a physical reaction when I eat chocolate. It's good, right? Um, so then there's agape. Now, agape is only used of God, and it is unconditional love. Unconditional love, the kind of love that God showed you. He says this in Romans 5, it's one of my favorites. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. When I was still using when I was cussing my parents out and being disobedient, when I was running around, when I was cursing his name, when I was diving into witchcraft, when I was sticking the nail through his hand, he said, I'm going to do it anyway. Christ died for me. And when you spit in his face and when you told him you didn't love him and you were angry, Christ died for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It didn't matter to him, your response. It only mattered that he was going to say yes. No matter what you do, no matter what you would do with his gift, he says yes. Christ died for the ungodly. I love it because Paul always reminds us, and some of us were that. He always makes sure we know where we come from, and it's a good one. But agape is this. This is a good defi uh, definition. It is an intentional and unconditional expression that chooses to do something caring or helpful regardless of the cost or consequence to oneself. You see, love is not feelings. It has feelings, but it's not based on feelings. And I don't feel like loving sometimes. Can we just be honest, okay? But love is giving a person what they need, not what they deserve. Jesus says, I have an unpopular opinion. A new command I give you. Agape one another as I have agaped you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you agape one another. That sounds hard. I am not patient, kind, and all those things that love says. We all read that at the beginning of a wedding. And then we forget it, right? That's what you give somebody you don't know what to do with in the wedding party. You say, here, read this. And you're thinking, um, man, I have to love. And all of a sudden, you're thinking of a person. That guy. That girl. Not with them. I cannot love them like God. Unconditional. No. I can't do that. You don't know what they did to me. That's my favorite. You don't know what they did to me. I don't want to love them. But here's the truth. 
It's not about them. It's not a people issue. So if you're having trouble with people, it might not be a people issue. It might be a God issue. Because this is what it says. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So if you're having problems loving somebody, you might be having a problem knowing God. It might be that you need to receive the love of God. It does not come from how you feel about them. Agape doesn't come from them. It comes from God. You're looking at them thinking, I cannot, when you need to be looking at God thinking he can. He can. Love allows you to express real love to people even when you don't feel like it. And this transformative love must come from being born again. Your sins are forgiven, but you must be transformed and renewed by a continual connection with the agape love of God. It cannot come from practical steps alone. I cannot give you 12 steps on how to love better. We will talk about more practical things, yes, but it has to start with knowing God and being born again. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start a brand new series, and it's going to be on our four tenets as a church to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. It's called Growth Track. For those of you who've been through Growth Track, you know what I'm talking about. Our first step always must be to know God because you cannot love without it. First John 4, 7 through 8 says, whoever does not love does not know God because what? God is love. Then I want you to understand this, and this is my prayer for you, and this is where we're going to land today. Ephesians says this, this is my prayer for you so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. Love is power. Love is powerful together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want you to be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God so you can walk out into your workplace and into your world and love just oozes out of you and people go, whoa, babe, what is this? Why were you nice to me? Why are you being nice to me? Even when they are hateful and mean. I want you to know this kind of love. So the popular opinion, remember from the beginning is I'm choosing to love you, but it's within my limits. This should sound really ridiculous to you now. That includes whether or not I feel like it and what circumstances occur at any given time. I hope to be passionately in love with you, but it will depend mainly on if I continue to feel positive about you and you perform up to my standards, which may or may not change. I will love you until you do me wrong. Then you will pay. I will do to you good or bad according to what you deserve based on what you did for me. That is absolute garbage. And that is what the world is teaching our kids every day on social media, that this is what love is. That it's how you feel based on happiness. But I want to give you God's opinion. God says, I have made the decision to do what is best for you regardless of emotions or circumstances. I have chosen to passionately love you and it isn't based on how I feel about you or how you are performing. 
I will always love you and respond to your failures with love and grace and redemption. And this will never change. That's God's opinion. It's God's opinion about you. It's God's opinion about me. So then this needs to be our opinion based on God's opinion. And this is unpopular. This should be your unpopular opinion. I will always endeavor to love you and others with God's love and respond to your failures or that of others in a Christ-like and redemptive manner. I will always endeavor to love you and others with God's love and respond to your failures and that of others in a Christ-like and redemptive manner. Hope Church will always be home to people of all walks of life. We're home to the homeless and the addicted. We're home to the wealthy and afraid. We're home to the lost and the broken, and we will always be that way because hope is for everybody. I want you to learn to be God's love. Please apply this message today. Think about the ways that you need to be transformed by God's love. Memorize the Bible, y'all. We need this word in our hearts. Would you just close your eyes for just a minute? Can we just, just be honest with God for a moment? Just open your hearts to the Lord. If you're here and you would say, I need help with agape love. I need help loving like that. I've been struggling. I have a God problem probably not a people problem. Would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Father, we just come to you and we say we need to know you better. We tried to, to forgive or to love on our own, or maybe we haven't. Maybe we've just been angry. And we need you through the power of your Holy Spirit to transform us, to teach us your agape love, to know that love for ourselves, to forgive ourselves. And God, to embrace your agape love and forgive and work and love in a way that is surrendered to you. Father, we ask that you would help us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Some of us and some listening online need to know you. They need to make a decision today to say, I'm going to choose you, God. I, I want you to come into my heart. Father, we pray for those and we pray, God, we believe in you. We believe that you have chosen us and we are saying yes to you today. God, for those of us who are far from you, we're going to say we're back. We're coming back to you and we want to restart, reset with you, God. Teach us this love. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you're doing this. God, we ask that you would continue to move in us and through us, through this love and help us to champion the unpopular opinions that you are showing us in your word, that are truth in your word, so that we can live your truth and be a light of your truth everywhere you send us. God, we believe that we're sent to be hope dealers, and we ask that you would help us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday 
10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.